I'm Paul Thorpe. I'm Pete Reese. I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Barry Worthington, and this is the Progress with Unity podcast. To say it was disappointing and frustrating last night is a bit of an understatement. It was a hard watch again last night, wasn't it? Yes, it was a very hard watch. Team selection, Ashley Fletcher starting ahead of Nathan Broadhead, the, the big surprise for me. I, th- I thought he started okay, if I'm being, being fair to him. He was perhaps better than Nathan Broadhead at pressing, closing the defence down, being more physical without being that target man approach that we get from Josh McGuinness. I actually think he did that pretty well. Of course, what you lose then is Broadhead's trickery and speed. We've not got anybody who can do both, have we? Let's face it. I can understand why he was included, and I thought he did all right. Whether he's going to make the difference for us or not is a different matter. The first thing I'd like to, to touch on is Chelsea Hughes after having to go off after 17 minutes. It, it was a result of the foul in the first probably five five minutes or so, which we got a free kick for. Yeah, you call it a foul. It was a bit more of an assault, wasn't it? Yeah. No attempt to get the ball, basically just seeing the young kid coming from behind him and slapping him on his ass. I think it was like, I'm here, I'm, I'm leaving my mark on Ooh. you. You're going to know what's going Ooh. on. It was it was warranted of a yellow card at the very least. That I think that's what got me riled about it more than anything. I thought it was very cowardly. Like yeah. you said, he's coming on the blind side. But I don't know what Charlie thinks, because Char- I guess Charlie saw it on I Follow Like Me, and we had the benefit of seeing two or three replays with it. I can understand the referee actually giving him perhaps the benefit of the doubt, because because I think it was a, I think it was a late tackle, which it was, but it was also a bit dangerous. I think in the Premier League that would have perhaps been a yellow card, uh, and perhaps justifiably so. But I don't think there was malicious intent there. My personal opinion. For me, watching it, especially on I follow and managing to go back over a few times, the ball back from Naylor when it went to Charlie Hughes, his first touch was not great, and it let the ball out a couple of yards to the point where I can understand why. Sunderland thought that the ball was then up for competition and he can go in for the yeah. challenge. The ball's anywhere near into him and you try and make that challenge. Yes, it's a yellow. And I wonder if the referee didn't give a yellow because the ball was slightly out of Hughes's touch and maybe just thought, well, it's a fair contest, but it wasn't looking back on it. You know, like you say, he went straight through him and Hughes was down for so long and he's not, you know, he's quite a stocky lad. He's not going to stay down if he doesn't want to. He's going to want to try and get up and make another impact. It's only his second start, so he's not going to try and play on it. And obviously it hurt him a little bit too much. And then he couldn't run it off, tried to kick the ball into the stands and landed awkward in his leg. I think it jarred his hip and his knee. And then that was too much for him. I think the thing that annoyed me most about it was the fact that James McLean got booted about two minutes later for doing a face, face-to-face challenge, which was more of a 50-50. And he ends up picking a yellow up. I mean, while we're talking about the referee, Michael Salisbury, I thought he was absolutely shocking. He's a, he's a select group one ref. And he was awful, in my opinion. He was worse than his dad, and his dad's the worst referee I've ever seen, Graham Salisbury. If you remember, he sent Silty off against Swindon, which got rescinded. For me, he was worse than him. He was awful. He was awful last night. He let a lot go. I think there were perhaps at least a couple more yellow cards in the game. And I think we were perhaps as guilty of that as as, as Sunderland were. But points on James McLean, James McLean's tackle was revenge for the one on Charlie yeah. Hughes. When the referee got his card out, he pointed back at our own penalty area and said, you know, what about that one? He knew what he was doing and I, I, he, he wasn't going for the ball. 
he was going to foul the yeah. player, and that that was an out and out yellow card for him. Yeah, he he was he was either the second or the third player of ours to leave a bit on one of theirs in retaliation for what they'd done to Charlie Hughes. I think Langy yeah. had to go down in the right hand corner, and then James McLean had to go. And there might have even been somebody else had a pop in between, maybe Tom Naylor. I think that that card came out at that point for the ref to say, "Look, stop it." You know, he booked McLean, but it was a message to the whole team. This is all good over the first half. And I, for me, I thought that first half was really entertaining. It was a, a physical battle. We scrapped and they scrapped. And I was I was out my seat shouting more times than I've been for this season. And I was really enjoying it. But looking back, I mean, that, that first goal of hers, which was, oh God, what a nightmare that was. But if you rewind to the attack that led to the corner, the breaking, and we, we have a line of, of four players behind the break trying to catch them up. If you watch it again, you can see it. Because it led to that double save of Jones's. If I mean, what a fantastic yeah. save that was. Going back to how that started, that was Tilt losing the ball about, you know, getting to somewhere, getting towards the, the halfway line. It held on to the ball for too long. I think he played the ball, cannoned off one of their players and, and they were away. And that happened a number of times in that first half. The, the mistakes that we were making, giving the ball all the way, putting it into play because we didn't know where players were and so on. We're architects of our own downfall, aren't we? As you say, that led that led to they should have already probably scored from that breakaway. Jamie Jones made two great saves, but they get a corner, and and I think why I my mean, dad Sunderland in the end had the player who crossed the ball back in, the player who scored, both on mark. But the reason was. And the Ambi had tried to clear the ball, fallen over, and he banged into one of our other players, and there were two of them left on the floor. So no wonder there were, there were two players left on Mark. It was an absolute fiasco. But by this stage, we'd lost Charlie Hughes, hadn't we? And with two right-backs on, well, one right-back and one... One and a half. One and a half <laughs> right-backs. And, uh, and the left-winger playing left-back as well. Yeah, so so that back, that back line was... Well, we know what it was. But I, I, th- I thought we responded quite well quite well to that and we we didn't let our heads go down and we battled we we battled back into the game we put our foot in a little bit there was one occasion where Lange got the ball down in our our own dead ball line and he skipped past two of their players and he made them look like fools I think he nutmegged one and chipped one over uh, O'Neill's leg as he went flying in and he was away it was typical of what was going on at that stage it was a great move we seemed to be lacking Again, lacking that cutting edge in the final third, that quality ball in, that finding a, a player. I thought we was, you know, we was pressing hard, but nothing was being created right up until the forty-second minute when uh, Tello Asgard had that shot. I think it even goes a couple of minutes before that as well, because when Max Powers' corner came in and it fell to James McLean on the edge of the box after a rebound, and Tello Asgard went up for it with McLean, and McLean said, "No, I'm, I'm having this," and then his volley hit the outside of the post. Then Sunderland ran the other end, Diallo hit our crossbar, and then it went back again towards our attack. And it was it was Teller, like you say. He just he looked up and he will do this. He'll have a shot from long range. And he's got the ability to actually hit the target a couple of times. And I think there's so much force in it that Patterson couldn't hold on. And and then you get Keane, Keane right there to be able to finish it. Keane gets a lot of stick. I saw a lot of stick before you know the game started. A lot of people calling for him not to play. People saying, what does he offer instead of goals? You're a team that's scrapping a relegation fight. You need goals. Why not play Keane? And yeah. he, he shows why he's there. He might not set Instead the field like every game, but yeah. he's going to get you goals. He's one away from double figures now. Nine goals in, in a team like ours that doesn't score. <laughs> he's he's got yeah. nine. It's brilliant. He's he's done fantastic this season. So one apiece half time. I I was quite pleased at that point because I, I thought the way we'd come back into the game, the way we'd finished that half in terms in terms of our overall play. 
you're looking at it and thinking, ah, right, okay, this is how Colo Toure wants us to play. We were in their faces. We weren't letting them have any time mm. on the ball. We were winning the ball back high up the pitch, which I think is, with a defence like ours, I think that's really, really important to keep the play up the other end of the pitch as much as possible. And we were doing that. When that then translated into the early part of the second half, Sunderland are very much on the back foot here and they needed to make the substitutions when they did. Because at that stage, despite the fact that we weren't creating chances, they were only one mistake away from perhaps presenting us with a guilt-edged chance. I thought that having battled back and got to level, I thought if we if we can get a result out of the game and go on to win it, it'll do absolutely wonders. Because I, I thought we you're talking about the shot that rattled the bar and there was other opportunities that, that they had with that double save. I thought we were still living a bit dangerously, but we hadn't been caught out. It takes a spark of something of getting a result somewhere. The mantras believe, you've got to have a reason to believe. It worries me that we, we didn't convert that. We did get caught. We have gone down to another heavy defeat, which is a demoralising defeat. And whilst they did battle for, for most of the game, I think you've got to get... That belief has got to come from inside. Is it going to turn up now? That's the question. The other thing you've got, you've not to do is, is lose your shape. I praised Toure for his substitutions, especially against Millwall and again against Sheffield United. But last night, I've not a clue what they were. Two cast guard off brought Shinny on. I know a lot of people like Shinny, but he's not an attacking midfield player, which is what we needed. And then Langosoff, who was way, way our most attacking player last night as well. He yeah. was causing most trouble. It was a great battle with 9 but he was getting past him. He was creating chances. I mean, he, he went through that one-on-one chance, didn't he, with the keeper where 9 just got yeah. back and slid in. And Are you looking there at a manager who's telling his players to be positive and making a couple of changes that are designed to hold out from a long way out? I mean, I mean it must be what was left, but half an hour? Shinny came on on 62 minutes. You're basically playing for the draw from half an hour out, which is, for a manager that's, that's screaming positivity, that's pretty negative. That's that's like, the way it looked to me, yeah. I, th- I think he perhaps saw who Sunderland were bringing on. They made substitutions at the same time. I think perhaps he was looking at who they were bringing on and thought, we need some more steel in midfield to try and stop them getting at the defence. We lost our shape, Pete. Shinny came on. And I don't know, I, I, I couldn't tell you what position he, he picked up. I don't know where he played. It was like a because, rover. And then Edwards came on. I don't remember him being on the ball. We were defending well in a 4-4-2. We were attacking in a 4-2-3-1, defending in a 4-4-2, stopping a bit of the lines towards the end of the first half. And that was helping us on the break. And then, like you say, we bring Shinny on and then bring Edwards on. And that 4-4-2 defensive sort of block that we had ended up going quite narrow but then there was still a lot of space in there. And we, I think at one point we had Tilter right back, Dariqua left centre-back, and then Nyambi right centre-back when they were trying to get back because nobody knew where they were and everybody was just covering at positions. Max Power was having to go right back to help out. And then you can't do that against a team like Sunderland, who, they, to be honest, they're going to get playoffs, I think, at the, at the end of the season. They're, they've got the players to do it. And they also showed that the substitutions that we brought on compared to who they brought on, they brought Patrick Roberts on, who we know from the first game is so quick and agile and can create something out of nothing. He won the penalty. Then you get Pritchard, who came on in the midfield. He's, you know, he's a really good player. And then Ross Stewart's got six goals in eight games so far this season. So the depth in squad squad that Tony Mowbray had compared to what Cola Torre has 
It's so different. One of the things that, that is a, a ray of hope for us, if you look if looking at their players, see, Diallo's on loan from Manchester United, I think, isn't he? Then you think if there are players available on loan like that, which is probably the market that we're in and we're looking at for January, then maybe there's some hope there about getting some real quality from Arsenal or Leicester or City or wherever Col- or two, he's got his contacts that could do something for us like Diallo was able to do yesterday. I thought I thought he was man of the match. I thought he was fantastic. The penalty, uh, we've not spoke about that. At the game, I thought no penalty. The reason I thought no penalty was because no Sunderland player appealed for it. But the referee, he took his time. He took a minute, well, a, a few seconds, and then he blew his whistle pointed to the spot. When I've seen it on the replay today, for me, I've seen those given and I've seen them not given. It's one of those where... You, they put a challenge in, the player gets rid of the ball, he passed it where he was going to pass it, passed it to his right-hand side, didn't he? Which is what he was doing. I, I just thought, done, done over by by a referee. I'm a feeling sorry for myself here with this. Is that what I'm doing? Because we're, we're, we're out of luck. When I saw it, I, th- I thought that he was given the penalty for... But there, were two, there were two challenges, weren't, it, weren't there? And I thought he was given it for the second one, the one that he blew right after. And I thought, what's he blowing there for? There nothing, nothing happened. And then I realised on on the replay, it was because of the, the first challenge, but it had happened, you know, a split second before, probably. And when you saw that as a replay, I thought, yeah, okay, I think yeah. that, that is a foul. And, and I've no real complaints about it, to be honest. That was Tom Naylor's, wasn't it? On yeah. Patrick Ryan. I think it was, See, yeah. I was praising Tom Naylor in the first half because I thought that he was defending with his body really well. He was closing space down between the Sunderland players, which is something that we don't really do all that often. And he was closing him down, but he was using his body to try and unsettle the play. And then he tries to do it against Patrick Roberts when he comes on, who's a tricky player anyway. And it's that split little second of Patrick Roberts had the ball, then got rid of it, and then Naylor's already committed to the sort of the... He didn't, he didn't really tackle him. It was more of a shoulder into him, and he stopped the run. And then obviously the ref thinks it's a free kick. But like Barry said, I've seen him given, seen him not. And I thought yeah. on first live view, and I thought very, very harsh, but then going back, there's kind of a case for it. Yeah, it's a bit. I think, I think I'd agree with that. At, at the game, I was like, "What's he given now?" And you look at the replay, you're like, "Yeah, okay, fair enough, ref." It's a bit weird though, isn't it? Because he's a, a Premier League referee, and they've usually got VAR, so they wait for VAR, don't they? Not, not point to the spot. I still, I'm not going to get away with that. Then Salisbury's, they've got it in for us. I tell you, <laughs> what a shower there. The stats from last night: possession. We had 42% attempts. We had seven Sunderland, 13, two on target. Sunderland, seven on target. One corner to the four, 19 fouls. One corner, I'm sure we had more than one corner last night. Fouls, we committed 19. They committed 14, which again proves my point about the referee. We picked up two yellows and they picked up one. Tilt and McLean got booked for us. Substitution not used. Amos Bennett, Broadhead and Cousins. Man of the match, as voted for by the listeners on both Facebook and Twitter, was Tom Naylor. Good game from Tom. Yeah. Well done, even though we give a penalty away. I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I thought he, he had his best game I've seen him have since probably the beginning of the season. I think maybe this pressing style, the uh, uh, the aggression, the intensity with which Toure wants us to play, I think that's perhaps suited to Tom Naylor. And Max Power to some extent. They, they seem to be saying, I know how you want us to play and I'm going to do that. You need a, you need 11 players who get that and we're a long way short of that at the moment. Um, but I, I thought Tom Nail was well-deserved as man of the match. Our first season in the Championship under Paul Cook, after 25 games, 
Guess how many points we had? 24. We had two points more, 26. But we were, I think, five places higher in the table. And that was a team with Nick Powell in, Reese James. Dan Byrne. So, Dan Byrne, that's right, yeah. And I think in that respect, we're not doing too badly at the minute. And I think we've just got to keep hanging on, being positive. <laughs> we're currently five places below where we were at that stage. What I'm saying is the point score is only two points below where we were under Paul Cook. And it's a season that in the end finished quite happily and we were able to build on that the next season. And all I'm saying is there's there's room for optimism. On Monday, we face Hull City in a basement battle at the DW Stadium. They're currently playing, as we record this, they're away at Birmingham. In the build-up to the game, I've managed to speak to Ant Northgrave from To Hull and Back podcast. I'm pleased to say that. Ant Northgrave from To Hull and Back has joined us once again for a preview of the game. Me and Ant are having a chat in the afternoon before Hull City travelled to Birmingham. So it's a massive game tonight for you. It is. I'd be happy with a point tonight. I know it'd be another draw. Uh, we seem to be draw specialists at the minute, but avoiding those defeats is good. And I think we'd probably target the Wigan game, no disrespect, higher than we would Birmingham because they, you don't know what version of Birmingham is going to turn up at the minute. And I feel like us, Birmingham and yourselves, are, we're a mixed bag. So we're better away from home this season. I think we're absolutely shocking at home. So it's one of those where we can hopefully maybe just come away without this, not losing, and then um, maybe target the Wigan game for a win for me. Since we last played, you've appointed Liam Rossini as, as your manager. Has he made a big difference? He has. You know, under Shotter, we were just, we were chaotic. We were a complete mess. The, the the team was unbalanced. I know he had a huge number of injuries to deal with, which probably hindered the, the team selection that he could have had. And we probably never actually saw the side that Shotter wanted to play. But the, the identity and the playing style was just just not there. We were we were losing heavily every week. You know, we there was the players just looked absolutely clueless. They didn't they looked like they didn't know what they were doing. Cyrus Christie came out in an interview uh, lately saying that even he was you know a bit mystified as to his role in the team under Shotter, which I think tells you everything. If if you know the players aren't fully aware of what they're meant to be doing, then you're not going to get positive results. Yeah, there's no cohesion and organisation, but. Rosini has come in and we, we seem to be completely opposite. We look a lot more structured, organised. We concede him far less. Only lost once since he's come in. We've only won once as well. I don't know, you, you know, you can flip it either way, but he's made us hard to beat, which is the, the most important thing. Uh, you know, we were very, we were pushovers before he came in. And now it looks like, you know, teams are having to really work hard to beat us. And I think we've been really unlucky in the majority of games um, where we've drawn. We've just not got the quality up front at the minute. To, to be putting the chances that we create away because, you know, Rosini plays a possession-based game. He wants to keep the ball, play out from the back, take risks. And we look a lot more threatening going forwards, especially on the counter. But a lot of our key players are still injured, which means that I think, you know, we're still seeing like the second, third string players trying to put these chances away. And, and hopefully now with Aliar and uh, Tete coming back, I mean, Syed Manesh was on the bench against um, and, and, and he's been an absolute he's, he's really really been a, a, a player that we've missed um, you know our form fell off a cliff when he got injured so hopefully he starts against Wigan I don't think he'll start tonight um, he'll probably come on off the bench again but yeah we're, we're looking hard to beat so if we can just you know get these players back and, and start converting some of the chances we create um, I, I, I'm fully confident that Rosini is the kind of manager that's going to pull us out of the bottom three scrap yeah, you're talking there about your players, Oscar 
S2 Pinnon. Nine goals. He's bagged one recently, hasn't he? Scored in the last game. He got injured. No, yeah, he got injured for a little bit and then he came back and then he got suspended for three games. But then obviously we had the World Cup break as well. So he missed like a month and a half, really. But he came back. First game he looked against Sunderland. First game back, he, he looked a little shaky and he missed the penalty. But, you know, his sharpness isn't there. Like we know, he's nearly not played football for two months. But, you know, he got a goal last game and it looks like he's firing on all cylinders again. If we can if we can give him the service, I do believe that opinion will be really good striker for us and he's always a threat he's always a thorn in the, the centre-back side so like we say if, if he's partnered alongside the likes of Side Mesh and Tete at some point then yeah, I think he'll become a real force again Similar to us you don't keep a clean sheet you've only got three all season like you've mentioned earlier you've You've been picking up draws. You've got four draws in your last six games, only one defeat. The form seems to be turning around a little bit. Did you say two of those goals draws have come under Rosinia? We got a nil-nil draw away at Millwall when we had 10 men for the best part of an hour uh, and a nil-nil draw away at Watford. So two difficult places to keep clean sheets at. I think it's just a case of, like Christie said, players now are just fully aware of what they're meant to be doing there's a full tactical system which the players understand he had that month off uh, of the World Cup to work on it and get players you know get them partnerships working and for a large part of the season we've been asking for Sean McLaughlin to come back in at centre-back who was who had a very good season last year when he was brought back in and somehow was sort of just completely outcast by Shotter and we couldn't understand why he wanted inside uh, but he's been reintroduced and uh, Jacob Greaves who's normally a centre-half has been pushed into left-back in sort of like a Dan Byrne role so he's quite a tall centre-half playing left-back but he's got the ability to get up and down the line and he's got a few assists from the left-hand side So, but I think Rosini has more or less said that He's put Greaves on the left-hand side because we concede so many goals from set pieces that he wanted a bit more height in the team. So playing Greaves in left-back means that we've technically got three centre-halves on the field while playing four at the back. So when you know we're defending set-pieces, we've got more height in the box to defend it. And it has shown we've conceded far less from set-pieces. So the problems that we had beforehand, he's come in and he's solved. So at the minute, all we need to start doing is scoring more goals and we'll be OK. You're talking about your defenders, though. We were struggling a little bit at the back four defenders with injuries. I wish uh, we mm. had three centre-halves we could play. Well, taking about all those, give us a prediction for Monday, please, Sant. I don't know. I feel like it changed change after tonight's result. I-, I think tonight will be a 1-1 draw, and I'm going to go for the Wigan game. I think I'm going to go 2-1 winners, and I'm us- I'm very, very rarely predicting us to win. I've just got a good feeling we're, we're better away from home. I think we're five or six unbeaten away from home at the minute. Hopefully we can keep that away from going. I think it suits us more having teams come on to us and then us hitting them on the counter. You know, the likes of uh, Surrey and Woods sort of playing long diags from midfield and controlling the game that way. We seem to be getting a lot of joy and that, like I said, the fullbacks in Greaves and Christie that offer us a lot of offensive threat too. We, we've, we've sort of got the balance in the team again now. So I am confident more or less because Wigan's form at the minute seems very poor and we need to try and take advantage of that. Otherwise, we're going to be in real trouble, especially after Huddersfield's couple of wins lately. It's brought that bottom of the table position all that bit closer. It's an important game for for both of us, really. And I think it's a game that both ourselves and Wigan will be targeting for three points. Like I say, with a couple of our players coming back, I think we might have just that bit that we need to win at at Wigan. Thank you very much, Ant. Wish you a a great new year. Thank you for having me on again, Matt. I thought it was really interesting listening from Ant there. When he was talking about life under Schotter, when they when they had him as manager, he was talking mostly about how unstructured they were, how unorganised they were. Players didn't know the roles. It might remind you of a little bit of a <laughs> running theme at the minute with Wigan. <laughs> but 
you know, this new manager, Liam Rossini, that's come in, obviously made a big difference. He's got them playing quite a possession style of football and they're moving forward. But obviously he just said that they're struggling for wins at the moment, but they're not really losing. And like you said, they are drawing quite a few, which obviously as we record now, they're drawing. So I think they're going to be resolute. They're going to be hard to break down. We sometimes struggle at breaking teams down, but the three centre-backs that they've got playing, because obviously they're playing Greaves, like Ant said, at left-back, I do wonder whether they're, they're going to try and work down the right-hand side and use them three centre-backs to cover, which do we bring in Nathan Broadhead, you know, with his with his pace and trickery to try and to try and beat them, use Lang and Asgard? It's going to be a bit of a, a lot of questions now for Colo Torre to to answer and think about ahead of this game. That was interesting, which you alluded to there, Charlie, that about the dif- the difference in Hull's play and that it reminded you of, of us and so on, because I thought, yeah, they're, I, can't, I can't quite remember when they changed managers, but in terms of a new manager coming in and a new style of play, etc., they're probably a few games ahead of us, aren't they? That could turn out to be the difference, that their team is understanding how Rossini wants them to play, and we're not quite there yet. I think yeah, they're but- at the stage we wanted to be when Colo Torre took over. Hull right. City, the 19th in the Championship away form. So for all he's saying, they're, they're very good away from home. 19th doesn't say that to me. So they're there for us to, to beat. Place to watch, Oscar Estepinen, nine goals. He's the one to watch. When they visit the... DW on Tuesday, your referee will be Jeff Eltringham from County Durham. He's 42 years old and he's been on the national list of referees since the 09-10 season. He's taken charge of 13 Latix games in the past, the last one of those being the away game at Stoke City in the FA Cup last year. His card watch so far this season is taking charge of 10 games. Two of those have been in the Championship and in those 10 games, he's issued 38 yellows, one red and he's awarded four penalties. That's Jeff Eltringham, who will be your referee for the visit of Hull City. It won't come as any surprise to know that we've played Hull City before. In fact, we've played them 29 times before. We've won 12 of those matches. I've lost 10 and we've drawn 7. We first played them in a Division 4 encounter back in 1981 at the old Boothbury Park. Lassix winning 2-0. And we did the double over them that season. Uh, winning the return fixture at Springfield Park in March 2-1. We last played them away at the KC Stadium in October, losing 2-1. But uh, probably our fondest memory of playing Hull City was in just towards the end of the pandemic season when we played them at the DW Stadium and recorded our record victory over them, 8-0. And in fact, I think our record Premier League victory is also against Hull, 5-0. So there, there are some happy memories, I think, playing Hull at uh, home and away. It'd be nice to think that this could be the turning point and that this is going to be a happy memory as well. Predictions then. Also, another good result against Hull City was in the FA Cup fifth round. We beat them 3-0. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say this before I, I give you my prediction. We've gone 12 games without a clean sheet. and We've only had 14 sheets all season. In those 12 games, we've won one and lost nine, and we've only scored 11 goals. Hull are on this draw sequence, which is unbelievable. So my prediction is going to be, Wigan Athletic 3, Hull City nil. Well, I think we are a bit gungo. We're, we're a bit still shaky at the back. I think we're going to go 3-2 to Latics. I'm going to think, because our defensive worries, and I don't know if Charlie Hughes is going to play, I don't know what how we're going to set up, I think we're going to concede, but I think we're only going to concede the one this time. So I'm going to go with a, a 2-1 victory for Wigan. Fantastic. How, how can I come in with anything negative at that point? 
we're showing signs of progress. I'm not certain that we're showing a huge number of signs of progress, but I think they're away, but so that their record generally, especially their away record with these nil-nil draws and so on, gives us some cause for optimism. And so I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw and, and we'll perhaps break the uh, pattern of uh, defeats that we're on. Not for a bit of optimism, eh? A nil-nil draw. I don't know about showing signs of progress, Pete. I think we're showing signs of insanity. The three of us predicting a win and want to draw. Keep the faith. Just leaves us to wish everyone a happy new year. Hopefully, by the time we're we're back on Wednesday, we've brought at least one new signing in. I have a strong feeling about one player in particular coming. I'm not going to say it because I'll end up with egg on my face, but I do have have a strong feeling. So happy new year. Up the ticks. Up the ticks. Up the ticks. Yeah. Yeah.